Welcome to Flip the Script Podcast. This is transmission number 16. So today we're going to continue with The Art of War by Sun Tzu. But before we get into that, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit the and the subscribe button and share this video. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give me the five stars and write a review. Hit the subscribe button on your app. If you're listening to this podcast, I assume that you're enjoying it. Give me that five stars. All right. So I read this quote on our first transmission when we started covering the art of war, but I want to read it again. This is a quote that's on the back of the book. It says, water shapes its course according to the nature of the ground over which it flows. The soldier works out his victory in relation to the foe whom he is facing. Therefore, just as water retains no constant shape, so in warfare, there are no constant conditions. I like this quote because that's something that, that Bruce Lee said one time. He said, be like water takes its shape of whatever container that it's in. So as water changes, the same thing in war. You have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to overcome. You have to be able to change your tactics. If you're following a plan and it's not working, you need to change it. A lot of times, people we get stuck into these uh, cliches of sayings that people say, right? So, for instance, like simple ones, right? Oh, never give up. Never give in. Yeah. Never give up on the goal. But if your plan and your path that you're taking to get to that goal is not working, it's okay to quit and give up on that path and redirect and change routes and go a different way. So, it doesn't make sense to keep doing the same thing that's not working, doubling down on the same thing that's not working. You have to be able to change and move, right? The video that I did about what to do when you get attacked, right? Let's recap that. So if you haven't watched this video, I suggest go back and watch it. It's a couple of videos back. It's titled um, The Proven Formula, of What to Do when you're under attack to go from a defensive position to an offensive position. It's the same thing when you're taking fire in a combat situation, right? Fired upon, or if you're getting attacked personally, professionally, whatever it is, the first thing you do is you get down, right? Make yourself the smallest target. And then you're going to want to find cover, then reassess the threat. So you're getting fired upon, you're getting attacked. You want to get down, make yourself a small target, Find cover, right? So then you could, from that cover position, you can assess the threat. See where you're getting attacked from. So then you can assess the situation and be able to return fire that will be effective, right? Because if you just start return fire and you're shooting in all directions, and I'm speaking theoretically here, right? So not just in a combat situation, but also in your everyday life, professionally, whatever it is. If you just start going on the offense and you're just shooting out all over the place, but it's not directed in any specific place, those rounds are lost. Those, what you're doing are useless. So you have to be able to know where you're going to be returning your fire at to get rid of the threat. That's the purpose of returning fire, right? You want to stop the threat. So after taking cover, then you assess the situation, you assess the threat, you return fire. After you return fire, the last thing you do is move. You want to get out of that position. You want to take a better position. You don't want to stay there. 
The enemy knows you're there. You want to keep moving. You don't want to be a sitting duck with enemies just firing at you all the time. You want to be able to move, right? So professionally, it's the same thing. If you're under attack, right? So you did all the things, you took cover, assessed the threat, you returned fire, then you got to move. Whatever that is in your professional uh, capacity, you got to move, direct, change things around, right? Because otherwise you're going to keep getting attacked in that spot. So you got attacked there, you need to move, you need to change, you need to adapt, you need to overcome. All right, so let's get into the Art of War. We're doing chapters six and seven today. Chapter six is titled Weak Points and Strong Points. All right, so let's get into it. Let's flip the script. Sun Tzu said, whoever is first in the field and awaits the coming of the enemy will be fresh for fight. Whoever is second in the field and has to hasten to battle will arrive exhausted. Well, that seems pretty much common sense, right? In the field of battle, and you're waiting for your enemy to show up, you're going to have a better tactical advantage than if you're running to the battle late and uh, you stumble upon the enemy and you're not prepared. And you're already tired, you're already exhausted, and now you got to fight a battle. You don't have that tactical advantage. So therefore, the clever combatant imposes his will on the enemy, but does not allow the enemy's will to be imposed on him. So controlling the situation, right? Controlling the marketplace, controlling whatever it is. Obviously, if you are working in a group or you're working on a team, you're inside your own company or business, you don't have to control everything because everybody can't be in control. You've heard the expression that there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. I don't even know if I could say that anymore, but you don't always have to be in control. But you want to control your industry. You want whatever it is you want to. If you're in a battle, then you're going to want to have the control. You don't want your opponent to have the control, whether that's a fight in martial arts, whatever it is, you want to be in control. All right. So then if the enemy is taking his ease, you can harass him. If well supplied with food, you can starve him out. If quietly encamped, he can force him to move. Appear at points at which the enemy must hasten to defend. March swiftly to places where you are not expected. An army may march great distances without distress if it marches through a country where the enemy is not. All right, so, yeah, you can march through a lot of territory and run into no issues if your enemy is not present. That's common sense. And you can be sure of succeeding in your attacks if you only attack in places that are not defended and you can ensure your safety of your defense if you only hold positions that cannot be attacked so basically keeping a low profile here right and you are not looking for a fight and you're trying to stay away from the fight you're defending positions you know your enemy is not going to attack and you're attacking places where your enemy is not at so you can secure victories that way let's see where Sun Tzu is going with that hence that general is skillful in attacks whose opponent does not know what to defend. And he is skillful in defense whose opponent does not know what you attack. This takes a type of uh, skill, right? To figure out that type of maneuvers of keeping your enemy on his toes. Where to attack where he's not defending, right? Defending positions that he's going to have a hard time attacking which probably if he is a skillful warfighter then he's not going to attack those positions right if your movements are more rapid than those of the enemy 
if we wish to fight, the enemy can be forced to an engagement, even though he is sheltered behind a high rampart and a deep ditch. All we have to do is attack some other place that he will be obliged to relieve. If we do not wish to fight, we can prevent the enemy from engaging us, even though the lines of our encampment be merely traced out on the ground. All we need to do is to throw something odd and uncomfortable in his way. By discovering the enemy's dispositions and remaining invisible ourselves, we can keep our forces concentrated while the enemy must be divided. We can form a single united body while the enemy must split up into fractions. Hence, we will be a whole pitted against separate parts of a whole, which means that we shall be many of the enemy's few. And if we are able to attack an inferior force with a superior one, our opponents will be in dire straits. The spot where we intend to fight must not be made known, for the enemy will have to be prepared against a possible attack at several different points. And his forces being thus distributed in many directions, the numbers we shall have to face at any given point will be proportionally few. So it's remaining unpredictable. One of the key elements in anything is remaining unpredictable. If your enemy knows what you're going to do and you're telegraphing what it is that your plans are going to be, you're setting yourself up to feet. I never understood why politicians always did this or are doing this in the current wars that are going on right now, saying, oh, yeah, we're leaving at this point we're getting out of here at this time letting the enemy know what we're doing this doesn't make any sense it's a bad plan that's just probably why we've been fighting for over 20 years now you can't you can't win in the long run by telling the enemy everything that you're going to do so it's the same thing in business and you got a new product that's coming out do you want your competitor to know what this product's going to be no that's why you have to keep everything under wraps. Apple's very good at doing this. Apple's very good at keeping its new products under wraps. Even though there's rumors about what this feature is going to have, what this new phone is going to have, what this is going to be. They put out uh, misinformation also to find leakers. So they'll, they'll leak something that's going to be in a product that's really not going to be. And they tell it to a certain amount of people. So then that, if that rumor or false information that they give out gets out into the Twitterverse or out in rumor mills, then they know where the leaks are coming from because they only gave it to a certain group. So they could try to narrow down who it is that's not keeping the integrity of the product development. It's very strategic. Our government does that too. Our defense intelligence agencies do that. Our CIA, FBI, they all do that. Try to find out who is loyal, who is not, and weeding them out. Because if they start hearing reports in the media, this was leaked, this was leaked, right? That's a big problem. Leaking is a big problem. People do that for personal gain. They do that for trying to get clout, whatever it is. They're getting extorted. And uh, you need to weed those people out. And a good way is doing that is putting out misinformation and telling that certain misinformation to certain people. 
And then if that information gets out, then you know where it's come from. Or you can at least narrow it down to a couple people. All right. Let's continue. Let's flip the script. Should the enemy strengthen his van, he will weaken his rear. Should he strengthen his rear, he will weaken his van. Should he strengthen his left, he will weaken his right. Should he strengthen his right, we will weaken his left. If he sends reinforcements everywhere, he will everywhere be weak. Numerical weakness comes from having to prepare against possible attacks. Numerical strength from compelling our adversary to make those preparations against us. Knowing the place and the time of the coming battle, we may concentrate from the greatest distance in order to fight. But if neither time nor place to be known, then the left wing will be important to secure the right, and the right to secure the left. The van unable to relieve the rear, and the rear to support the van. If the furthest position of the enemy, of the army, are anything under a hundred li apart, and even the nearest are separated by several li. Though according to my estimate, the soldiers of... I can't pronounce this Chinese word. It's a Y... You with two dots on it, an E and an H. If anybody can figure that out, uh, hit the comments with what that is. Exceed our own in number. That shall advantage them nothing in the matter of victory. I say that victory can be achieved. Though the enemy may be stronger in numbers, we may prevent him from fighting. So as to discover his plans and the likelihood of their success. Ruse them and learn the principle of his activity or inactivity, force him to reveal himself so as to find out his vulnerable spots. Carefully compare the opposing army with your own so that you may know where strength is superabundant and where it is deficient. So this is interesting, right? So compare the enemy's army to your own. You often hear a lot of people say, don't compare yourself to other people or don't compare your company to other people. It's kind of a cliche to make, to make you feel better about yourself, right? Because if you're in a competition and you're competing in business, you're in a competition at your company, you're in a competition with other salespeople, you're competing to keep your spot in your company. So yeah, you do have to compare yourself to your peers. It's a check on yourself to see how you're performing and where you need to improve. And also where, of course, you don't want to, if you're in your own company, you don't want your, if you're in sales, you don't want your other salesmen to do bad. You don't want to try to sabotage them because then that's sabotaging the company. So it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for you to want to bring them down to make yourself look better, right? This is what weak people do. You want to just improve yourself. The best way for you to shine is to shine. Do it better yourself, not to bring those people down. If you have, to, if the only way for you to shine is to knock other people down or sabotage their success, then you're weak. And if that's what you are trying to do, then you don't even belong on a team. You just don't belong in the company. You don't belong anywhere because you're self-serving. You want people around you who are going to lift everybody up, right? So 
you need to see what everybody else in your company is doing. So as a check for yourself to see where you need to improve to get up to that standard, right? So if you're, if you, everybody else is making uh, X amount doing this and doing that, but you're not reaching that level, then the best thing for you to do is to start producing more, right? So it's just a check on yourself. So yes, you have to compare yourself to other people. You just being you is not good enough. Okay, you have to improve. You have to work harder at getting better and producing more, becoming more valuable. Otherwise, the company doesn't need you because what are you doing? You're standing still. You're like, you're not running water. You're water standing still. And you can't drink that water. You got bugs growing in there. But if you're flowing water, you're fresh. And new life is in there, right? All the fish are swimming upstream, whatever it is. That's how you want to be. You don't want to be standing still. All right. So I'm going to continue to flip the script. It says, making tactical dispositions, the highest pitch you can attain is to conceal them. Conceal your dispositions and, and you will be safe from prying of the subtlest spies. How victory may be produced. For them, out of the enemy's own tactics. That is what the multitude cannot comprehend. All men can see their tactics whereby I conquer. But what can see is a strategy out of which victory is evolved. Do not repeat the tactics which have gained you one victory. But let your methods be regulated by the infinite variety of circumstances. So I'm going to read that again. Do not repeat the tactics which have gained you one victory, but let your methods be regulated by the infinite variety of circumstances. So just because one thing worked once doesn't mean that's going to work in all circumstances. Now, here's another cliche. If it's not broke, don't fix it. So this method's proven. This way is proven. This is the way to do it. Yeah, it worked at that time. How long ago was this? What was the situation at the time? What industry was it in? That doesn't mean that you could just copy it and do it again and replicate it. You're going to have to adapt to the changing circumstances. Circumstances are always changing. So you could take parts of it and put it together. You could It could be similar, but it can't be exact because nothing is exact. Nothing is ever the same. Things are always changing. So you have to be able to adapt to that. Don't get stuck in tunnel vision, all right? All right, so let's continue, flip the script. Water shapes its course according to the nature of the ground over which it flows. The soldier works out his victory in relation to the foe whom he is facing. I did not know that I'd be reading that quote in this chapter. It just so happened to be that, so that's pretty interesting. Therefore, just as water retains no constant shape, so in warfare, there is no constant conditions. He who can modify his tactics in relation to his opponent and thereby succeed by winning may be called a heaven-born captain. The five elements, water, fire, wood, metal, and earth are not always equally predominant. The four seasons make way for each other in turn. There is short days and long days. The moon has its periods of waning and waxing. All right, so basically, there's a time for everything, right? 
things change. You need to adapt it to circumstances. All the different seasons have a purpose, right? Everything has a purpose for a specific time. When things change, you need to change as well. They can't stay the same. You need to adapt. You have to remain unpredictable. All right, so getting into chapter seven, maneuvering. So Sun Tzu said, in war, the general receives his commands from the sovereign, meaning the king, the leader, right? The CEO. Having collected an army of concentrated his forces, he must blend and harmonize the different elements, therefore, before pitching his camp. After that comes tactical maneuvering, than which there is nothing more difficult. The difficulty of tactical maneuvering consists of rendering the devious into the direct and misfortune into gain. So take a long route after enticing the enemy out of the way and those starting after him to conceive, to reach a goal before him, shows knowledge of the art of deviation. Maneuvering with an army is adventurous. With an undisciplined multitude, most dangerous. If you set a fully equipped army in march in order to snatch the advantage, the chances that you will be too late. On the other hand, to detach a flying column for the purpose involves the sacrifice of its baggage and stores. Thus, if you order your men to roll up their buffed coats and make forced marches throughout halting day or night, covering double the usual distance at a stretch, doing a hundred li in order to wrest the advantage, the leaders of all three divisions will fall into the hands of the enemy. The stronger men will be in front, the jaded ones will fall behind, and this plan, only one-tenth of your army will reach its destination. If you march 50 li in order to outmaneuver the enemy, you will lose the leader of your first division, and only half your force will reach the goal. All right, so basically what he's talking about in maneuvering, he's actually this is actually talking about covering distances, right? Taking it in a practical term, what he's saying is if you are trying to reach a point and you're going super fast trying to get there, he's saying your whole and your army the whole force is not going to make it and you're going to lose leaders, lose a bunch of people along the way and your force is going to be it's going to be in shambles, right? By the time you get there and you're not going to be ready to fight once you get there. So if you march 30 with the same object, two thirds of your army will arrive. We may take it that an army without its baggage train is lost without provisions. It is lost without basis to supply. It is lost. We cannot enter into alliances until we are equipped with the designs of our neighbors. We are not fit to lead an army on the march unless we are familiar with the face of the country, its mountains, its forests, its pitfalls, its marshes and swamps. We shall be unable to turn natural advantage to account unless we make use of local guides. In war, practice dissimulation and you will succeed. All right, so what Sun Tzu is saying is you don't go into a new territory. You don't go through a country. You don't invade a country without knowing it. You don't know what the terrain is. You're not walking there. You're not marching through it. If you don't know what the situation is on the ground, then you're not going there until you have some type of reconnaissance or you've done some type of intelligence work to get an idea of what is going on over there. We could apply that to our everyday lives. Stop winging it. It's good to wing it sometimes. 
if you're in, in a familiar territory, but if you're going into something new, you didn't do anything to research it, you're going to run into some problems, especially when it comes to business. If you don't know your what the market looks like, you don't know what people are interested in, you're trying to sell a product and uh, you don't know what people want to buy or you choose a product, you put all of your efforts into a product that nobody wants because you didn't do any research. I don't know if I'm the only one that does this, but I'm, if I'm going to a place I've never been before, I look it up, especially because I don't know what the parking situations are going to be. This is what I think about. I don't know what the parking situations are going to look like. I don't know what kind of roads are it is. I don't just put in the GPS. I don't just drive there. I look it up on Google Earth first, right? Street view, aerial. I look at it to see what the area looks like before I go there. So I know I have an idea. Okay, there's a parking lot over here. And it looks like there's street parking. There's not street parking. I might have to find a parking deck. I prepare for all that stuff in advance because... Learning from past experiences where I've gotten to a place, and first of all, I it, the place might have been hard to find, or parking was hard to find, and that creates a lot of stress and makes me, it's not a good day. It could mess up the whole vibes for the day. So I try to prepare for that the best I can, even though it is hard to seeing it on the Google Earth and the Google Maps, Street View. It does it, It's not the same as seeing it in real life, but at least having an idea being a little bit more familiar with it, it will give you a little bit more of a tactical advantage in that way. All right. So then when you plunder a countryside, let the spoil be divided amongst your men. When you capture a new territory, cut it up into allotments for the benefit of the soldiery. Ponder and deliberate before you make a move. He will conquer who has learned the art of deviation, such as the art of maneuvering. The book of the army management says on the field of battle, the spoken word does not carry far enough, hence the institution of gongs and drums, nor can ordinary objects be seen clearly enough, hence the institution of banners and flags. Gongs and drums, banners and flags are means whereby the ears and eyes of the host may be focused on a particular point. The host thus forming a single united body, it is impossible either for the brave to advance alone or for the cowardly to retreat alone. This is the art of handling large masses of men. That's interesting. So gongs and drums and going to battles, gongs and drums and banners and flags. Have you ever wondered why they did that in battle back in the day? In night fighting then, make such use of signal flares and drums and in day fighting of flags and banners as a means of influencing the ears and the eyes of your army. A whole army may be robbed to its spirit, to commander-in-chief, may be robbed of his presence of mind. It's for leading your troops. So whatever that beat by the drums is playing, that's giving out some type of direction to your army. Same thing with the flags, direction that they're waving the flags. That's actually pretty interesting. It's like hand signals now, right? When you're doing small unit moving using the use of hand signals. Think about it. They had large armies, right? At the time, they didn't have any radio communications. So the way that they communicate is with banners and flags so that I could wave a flag to somebody 500 yards away and he'd be able to know what I'm saying. That's pretty interesting. All right. So now soldier's spirit is keenest to the morning of noonday. It has begun to flag, and the evening his mind is bent only on returning to camp. 
All right, so he's talking about soldiers. Attention is going to be best in the morning. And by noon, he's starting to go down a little bit, right? Getting that afternoon slump. And by the evening comes, he's already ready to get back to camp. So keeping that in mind, a clever general, therefore, avoids an army when its spirits is keen, but attacks it when it's sluggish and inclined to return. This is the art of studying moods. Disciplined and calm to await the appearance of disorder and hovered amongst the enemy. This is the art of retaining self-position. To be near the goal while the enemy is near from it. To wait at ease while the enemy is toiling and struggling. To be well fed while the enemy is famished. This is the art of husbanding one's strength. To refrain from intercepting the enemy's whose banners are in perfect order, to refrain from attacking an army drawn up in calm and confident array. This is the art of studying circumstances. It is a military axiom not to advance uphill against the enemy or to oppose him when he comes downhill. Do not pursue an enemy who simulates flight. Do not attack soldiers whose temper is keen. Do not swallow bait offered by the enemy. Do not interfere with an army that is returning home. When you surround an army, leave an outfit free. Do not press a desperate foe too hard. Such is the art of warfare. Very interesting. So then the next podcast will be on chapters 8, which is variation of tactics, and chapter 9, the army on the march. All right, so I hope you guys are enjoying this as much as I am. And we're going to stop here for today. We're going to pick up on the next transmission. This is the Flip the Script podcast out.